1: Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, a joint podcast from The China Project and Caixin Global. We bring you the most critical business and finance news from China, the world's second-largest economy. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, part of The China Project. On this week's episode, China-U.S. tensions eased following a landmark meeting between the two countries' leaders. Domestic property sales remain sluggish despite government rescue. And Tencent finally wins a new game license after a 17-month drought. Let's jump right in. Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden finally met in person on the sidelines of the G20 summit in Bali, Indonesia, on Monday. The meeting marks the first face to face encounter between the two leaders since Biden took office in 2021. It also came after Xi was re elected as General Secretary of the Communist Party's Central Committee last month and after Biden's party, the Democrats, retained control of the Senate in U.S. midterm elections. At the meeting, she called on Biden to jointly, quote, chart the right course, unquote, for bilateral ties after tensions heightened following House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. The presidents also touched on the Taiwan conflict and agreed to resume talks on climate change, health and food security, and other global issues. Biden said the U.S. stands ready to work with China, according to a White House statement following the meeting. The U.S. president added that the two leaders share a responsibility to show that the world's two largest economies can manage their differences and, quote, prevent competition from becoming anything ever near conflict, unquote. Positive signs are also visible elsewhere. During the summit, Xi also met with his Australian counterpart, Anthony Albanese. This was the first formal meeting of the country's leaders since 2016, after which bilateral relations had soured over trade disputes and the COVID-19 pandemic. During the meeting, Xi told Albanese that China-Australia relations need to be cherished by both sides. The latter also hailed the discussion as, quote, positive and constructive, unquote, and said Australia seeks a stable relationship and more trade opportunities with China. On Thursday, Xi arrived in Bangkok to attend the APEC summit, where he met with his Japanese and Singaporean counterparts, Fumio Kishida and Li Xianlong, on the sidelines of the conference. Echoing the meeting with Biden, the face-to-face between Xi and Kishida also struck a warmer tone. Xi expressed that China stands ready to work with Japan to keep the bilateral relationship on the right course. In written remarks addressed to the APEC summit, the Chinese president called for a deepening regional economic and security cooperation. The Asia-Pacific region has reached a crucial stage of post-pandemic recovery as economies face challenges from disrupted supply chains, tight food and energy supply, and mounting inflation pressures, he said. Turning now to China's domestic issues and a very pressing one indeed, the property market's ongoing downturn. Despite the government's attempts to stabilize the market, new property sales continued to tumble. Traditionally, October is a peak sales season for the housing market. However, that is not the case this year. Sales of the country's 100 largest developers were down 28.4% year-on-year last month. Suggesting weak consumer confidence and demand. Nevertheless, state owned developers have fared much better than their private rivals. Their performance benefited from sales promotions, stable operations, and their credibility with home buyers, analysts said. Some also predicted that this performance discrepancy will extend because SOEs retain advantages in financing and land acquisition. Demand in China's property market. Once, one of the most indispensable pillars of economic growth has evaporated following waves of regulatory moves to curb speculation and excessive borrowing. Many builders, including property giant China Evergrande Group, have defaulted on bonds in the face of stricter government regulations. Governments at all levels have been beefing up their support for the ailing sector, the most recent effort, and perhaps the most significant, is a 16-point plan rolled out by the central bank and the banking regulator. The measures encourage financial institutions to provide more support to the industry by helping developers extend or swap their debts. Some analysts said the plan could greatly increase the chances that home construction and sales will hit bottom and start to recover. Moving on to the country's internet sector, Tencent won approval for a major new game title for the first time in more than a year. Tencent's mobile game, Metal Slug Awakening, was among 70 titles approved for November by the National Press and Publication Administration. In China, companies need to seek approval from the media watchdog before they are allowed to release new titles. However, the government's tech crackdown, which ensnared the online gaming sector last year, included a suspension of new game licenses for nine months in July 2021. The last time Tencent got the green light for a new product it directly developed was in May 2021. However, it did win approval in September for a minor health education game developed by a subsidiary after the freeze was lifted in April. Tencent's bottom line has suffered from the regulatory hurdles at home and overseas, the company is struggling with the fading popularity of its older games and a lack of new ones. In the third quarter, its domestic game revenue fell 7% year-on-year to around 31 billion yen, $4.4 billion, the biggest quarterly drop of the year. The news is read as a positive sign for the rest of the gaming sector, In state media, the People's Daily on Wednesday published an opinion piece saying that the video game sector is now of great significance to a country's industrial layout and technological innovation. The shift in tone contrasted sharply with previous articles that labeled video games as spiritual opium. Meanwhile, Tencent rival Alibaba posted a surprise loss after its third-quarter revenue barely grew as China's rigid COVID controls continued to dampen consumer sentiment. The e-commerce giant reported a net loss of 20.6 billion yuan, $2.9 billion, as it marked down the value of its equity investments. Also battered by the government's tech crackdown, Alibaba has been working hard on shoring up its bottom line amid weak demand. This month, the company did not disclose full sales results for its signature Double Eleven shopping festival for the first time in 14 years, suggesting a disappointing turnout. This comes as Chinese retail sales contracted 0.5% year-on-year in October, the first decline since May. Also, some not-so-good earnings news from another Chinese tech firm, NASDAQ listed Miss Fresh, once a frontrunner in China's booming online grocery industry, faces nearly 1,400 lawsuits from former employees and suppliers, demanding nearly 813 million yuan, $115 million. That's according to its belated 2021 financial report. The company, which shuttered its mainstay instant delivery retail business in July, has only 55 employees left. At the end of last year, it had almost 2,000 employees. The company's net loss expanded 2.3 times to 3.85 billion yen. Ms. Fresh's financial crisis escalated after it was discovered that the company had inflated its sales in the first three quarters of 2021. It has since failed to bring in new investment, forcing it to downsize its business and lay off workers the company said. It sold its unmanned retail business for 18 million yuan to repay debts. Let's turn now to Caixin Financial News reporter Yu Kun Zhang to talk about one of the really big financial stories of the year, the fall of once high-flying banker Tian Hui Yu. Welcome, Yu Kun.
0: Hello, Kaiser. Um, thanks for having me here.
1: So as I said, we're going to talk about Tian Hui Yu and China Merchants Bank and what happened to Tian. So Maybe first tell us, who is Tian Huiyu?
0: He served as president of China Merchants Bank, China's seventh largest commercial bank, by assets for almost nine years, and led the bank through a major transition.
1: And what should we know about Tian? What, What kind of a person is he?
0: Well, he was considered a star banker and had earned a reputation among his former colleagues as professional, capable, and eager to learn. The 56-year-old came from Anhui province in East China. He has a master's degree in public administration from Columbia University. Before joining China Merchants Bank, Tian was a senior executive at China Construction Bank, one of the big six state-owned banks. He also worked for a trust firm owned by China Xinda Asset Management, one of the country's big four state-owned bad debt managers.
1: And so what's happened to him now?
0: Well, he's not the president of the bank anymore. On April the 18th, China Merchants Bank's board of directors voted to remove him from his position. A few days later, China's top anti-corruption watchdog, the CCDI, announced that Tian had been placed under investigation. And then in early October, the CCDI put out another announcement saying that Tian had been expelled from the Communist Party and removed from public office for severe violations of law and party discipline, which is the official jargon for corruption. The watchdog said Tian had failed to properly implement major decisions made by the party's central committee regarding the country's financial work. The commission also said Tian, whose greed knew no bounds, had abused his power for personal gain under various guises such as investment and wealth management later in October, China's top prosecutor issued a warrant for Tian's arrest. The prosecutor's statement said the CCDI had concluded its investigation into allegations of Tian's bribery, abuse of power, and trading with undisclosed information.
1: Those are some very serious allegations, obviously, but they're not too specific. So what exactly is Tian alleged to have done?
0: There's been no official announcement yet, but sources have told Xin that Tian's misconduct likely involved investments into a company, Kato, made by a subsidiary of China Merchants Bank. Kato is the world's largest lithium-ion battery maker. It was founded in 2011 and later thrived during China's electric vehicle boom. Its relations with China Merchants Bank went way back, and it had borrowed from the bank in its early years. In 2016 and 2017, the subsidiary of China Merchants Bank and two private equity funds it controlled participated in four of Kato's eight fundraising runs rounds to gain a combined 7.32% stake in the battery maker. The investment totaled almost 3.9 billion yuan. That would be roughly $580 million in 2017. And then in 2018, Kato went public, and its stock price soared from its IPO price of 25 yuan to as high as 692 yuan around the end of 2021. After the IPO, the China Merchants Bank subsidiary and the two funds began selling down their stakes. By the end of 2021, the returns would be more than 10 billion yuan, according to a Caixin estimate. As for Tian, Sources told us that he pocketed massive returns from the cattle investments because he had hidden some of his own money in those investments in the name of personal investment and wealth management. The amount he got is unknown, but it was large enough to alert the authorities, they said.
1: And why is his arrest and expulsion such a big deal?
0: Well, it's definitely one of the most watched financial corruption cases this year, partly because China Merchants Bank is such a large bank known for its retail business. Also, Tian is one of numerous bankers swept up in corruption probes connected to asset management businesses. For example, Tian's college friend Jiang Yunming, a former chairman of the supervisory board of Industrial Bank, also fell into corruption probes related to asset management businesses. Before China started an overhaul of the asset management sector in 2018, it was a common practice for banks to invest the funds they managed into private equity through multiple layers of products, industry insiders told us. Shady practices such as insider trading were also rampant, they said.
1: Thank you so much for sharing all this information with us, Yukon.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. This week's episode was produced by Kaiser Guo and by Kelsey Chung, Lin Jinbing, Jonathan Breen, and Zizan Wang at Caixin Global. Special thanks to Lee Sin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts on the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and China Corner Office. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to Access from the China Project. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. Take care.